Have you got soup? Why didn't I get any soup? Coffee. Why don't you use a cup like any other human being? Why don't you wash up occasionally like any other human being? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you call me inhumane? I didn't call you inhumane. You merely imagined it. Calm down. Right, you fucker. I'm going to do the washing up. No, no, you can't. It's impossible, I swear. I've looked into it. Listen to me, listen to me. There are things in there. There's a tea bag growing. You haven't slept in 60 hours. You're in no state to tackle it. Wait till the morning. We'll go in together. This is the morning. Stand aside. Hello and welcome to the Anglophiles podcast, a podcast where two Americans talk about British TV and movies. I'm Danny. I'm Sheldon. And we are having an interesting week. Yeah, I am furious about the Oscars. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really. We all knew the, the, the... Here's the thing about award shows. Movies you like don't win and that's fine. Like, just because you like a movie doesn't mean it deserves to win awards, and just because a movie deserves to win awards doesn't mean it'll get those awards, and just because a movie gets awards doesn't mean it deserved any of it. Mm. That being said, mm. the Academy choosing Soul as Best Animated Feature is wrong. Over Wolfwalkers? Over Wolfwalkers, over... I mean, we even liked Onward more as if uh, we're going to go Pixar, and then we think Farmageddon was a phenomenal film. (laughs) It just felt very much like they phoned it in and went, yeah, Pixar, because this one's sad and stuff. And you're like, that that wasn't the best animated movie. It was good. Um, But there, I did want to point out, there were um, several people from uh, the UK that won Academy Awards. Oh, yeah. um, Okay. I mean, first and foremost is Sir Anthony Hopkins winning Best Actor, Mm -hmm. um, which was kind of a shock. I don't think a lot of people thought that he was like the the front runner for for that award, so much so that he had to like put his acceptance speech the next day Mm. because he didn't even, uh, he didn't fully know. Um, And then Daniel Kaluuya. Mm. One best supporting actor. Good for him. Um, which it's kind of crazy that we've covered. He showed up on Skins. Yeah. Like, that's as my a introduction. And like as somebody who like you make fun of the way that he talks because he's he his character was such a joke. <clears throat> I just love how far he's come, and it feels like he's got a lot to do still. Yeah, he's great. Um, and then the third person I wanted to bring up. Um, the winner of uh, Best Writing Original Screenplay, Emerald Fennel, won for uh, Promising Young Woman. Oh, wait, is she English? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I I did watch Promising Young Woman. It was, um, like, it was an amazing first time directors. I was going to say, first directing, first writing, but, like... She knocked it out of the park. And she's been crushing it lately. Like, she's the showrunner for Killing Eve, right? Is that correct? Or at least one of the main producers. She was the showrunner for season two, I believe, which was a great season. Yeah, it feels very much like she is tapped in. Like, I'm excited to see what she's creating. You know what? I did know she was English. Yeah. (laughs) Because she's in The Crown. (laughs) Yeah, also that. Okay, I forgot. I forgot she was English. um, Okay, But yeah, there were, those were three pretty big, um... I feel like well-deserved people, as much as I complained in the beginning for uh, how much I hate award shows. Well, but that's the thing about the Oscars and any award show, really, is that some of the wins are political and some of them are deserved. So, you know. And I would much rather see things like this where you're like, Daniel Kaluuya is a force. He deserves it. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is probably getting it because... He's Anthony Hopkins. It's like and his deserves. lifetime. Yeah. yeah, it's the it's, it's the about... Brad Pitt getting it for the Revenant when or Brad Pitt when <laughs> Leo Leo. It, it's that kind of thing where you're just like, great, you're an old white actor that's been around for a few decades. Here, have it. Yeah. Well, speaking of achievements, um, I have a little bit of news. Yeah. <laughs> regarding um, English film. Um, <laughs> Why are you giggling? <laughs> because it's funny. Okay. So recently, I think this happened yesterday. Um, Citizen Kane was officially, yesterday, knocked off its pedestal as Rotten Tomatoes' highest rated movie of all time. Yep. And that means that the highest rated movie of all time now on Rotten Tomatoes is now Paddington 2. (laughs) And it shall never be dethroned. God, I hope not. It's the perfect film. It's perfect. And, and like, the 
the bizarre thing about this is nobody thought it could be dethroned because the the general nature of how Rotten Tomatoes works mm-hmm. is that like the score can only truly be affected if it's a reviewer, a film critic. Yeah. And so somebody had to, with fresh eyes, having never seen Citizen Kane before, mm-hmm. given it a negative rating for the first time in a hundred years yeah. when it first came out. I mean, I don't, do I think it's the best movie of all time? No, definitely not. Do I think it deserves to stay in the conversation based on what it did? Yeah, why not? You just question like, what, like, what is a perfect movie? Mm. Is there such a yes, thing? Yes, and it's Paddington 2. It is Paddington 2. Paddington 2. <laughs> nobody else can touch that it's perfect per- movie. I was trying to describe it to my coworkers this morning because we were talking about this news. And I was like, guys, it's the perfect... Like, there's no way you're going to watch it and not love it. It's yeah. just impossible. It's so good. But God, yeah, so congrats to Paddington 2. Um, Officially the best movie of all time. No matter what happens with Paddington 3, whether it comes out, whether it comes out and it's not perfect... Paddington 2 will always be. It will always be. It will always be. Um, Yeah, so I have a quick message from a listener. Oh, lovely. That I thought I would read. Um, This is from Nick. Um, He's written in before. He said, hey guys, I hope you're both keeping well. I'm working my way through your back catalog, and today I listened to your Blackadder episode. Well, where to start? I absolutely love this show and keep coming back to it whenever possible. It's mind-blowing how fantastic the cast and writing are, especially the last Mm. three series. I loved hearing you talk about how much you enjoyed Lord Flashheart in particular. (laughs) The actor who played him, Rick Mayall, is now deceased and is greatly missed and still a very much beloved actor by Brits of my age. I'm now 51 years old and I can still remember vividly the first time I experienced Rick when I saw him on TV when I was 12. I first saw him in The Young Ones, and his energy and explo- his energy was explosive and utterly holding. Rick practically raised me from that point, and wow. so many of the lines he delivered in so many shows still feature heavily in the lexicon of my household. In fact, my wife and my kids can hold entire conversations speaking through <laughs> Rick's characters. I'm genuinely getting emotional writing this because I miss him so. Anyhow, better dry my eyes and crack on with dinner. All the best, Nick. <laughs> Like, that's making me tear up a little bit because, like, that's that's why we do this podcast is mm-hmm. that, like, we love film and TV so much that, like, we're constantly quoting it to each other. And it is shows and movie, like, things like this, things that could be niche, things that you have rewatched again and again, things that are your comfort shows. Yeah. They matter so much more to people than I think a lot of people know or understand. Mm-hmm. Like... Having a comfort show, a show that you're like, I can always put this on, like, no matter what season, what episode it is, I am going to, like, quote the whole ep- the whole episode from start to finish. Yep. And I, I feel like that's why we love to celebrate movies and TV on this podcast, yeah. because we know that it matters to people, whether, mm-hmm. like, you're right now and this is part of your, like, your childhood, young adulthood, or you're kind of an, an adult who's in a later stage who can remember fondly the times that, like, I remember when I was, like, 20 and watched this series. Or whenever I was, like, just a kid and watching this with my parents. Yeah. That, it's, it's exciting. It is exciting. I Thank you, Nick, for that message. We really, really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, we're really glad that people are enjoying our episodes. Same. Um, so, <laughs> we... We have a special topic for today. Oh, man. Um, This is a film that um, I know had been requested. Yeah, and we tried to find it, but... I actually did search through our email and Twitter, and I did find um, someone... Oh, Ian Hawkins tweeted us um, about this a while ago. It might have been last year, saying he recommended this movie. And uh, if somebody else recommended it, and I'm missing it. I'm sorry. I, think I apologize. Somebody else did recently, yeah. But this is a film that I knew kept coming up on lists of like best British films of all time. It's yeah. on Robert Roger Ebert's list of great films. Yeah. And um, it is a movie called With Nell and I. And yeah. <laughs> we nineteen eighty eight. We finally uh, eighty seven. Sorry. We finally watched it, and it was an absolute treat. It. <laughs> I was, I don't know what I was expecting coming into it. I think like with black comedies, you don't know what to expect, Yeah. but 
from start to finish, like, it was just a ride. It's a very, very special movie. It's one of those movies that you enjoy it, but you also think about it later. You want people that you know and care about to watch it. You want more people to see it. It's just... It's a really special film. It's very unique. Yeah. So... And, I mean, it's it's very unique in the sense that you could tell when this was created, it's the only thing like this. And I, I feel like <laughs> I've seen movies now that have tried to emulate a lot of this, and, like, we kind of talked about it immediately, that it has very much a fear and loathing in Las Vegas quality to it mm-hmm. that I think you can tell they took Hunter S. Thompson's writings and tried to, like, fit it into the, the filmmaking style of this, of, like, yeah. the an aimless journey of people trying to live their day-to-day life. Yeah. And what is that journey? Is it like just looking for the next hit? Is it actually trying to find success? Yeah. So um, the description of this movie is, in 1969, two substance-abusing unemployed actors retreat to the countryside for a holiday that proves disastrous. Um, no. That kind of wraps it up. <laughs> but, it, but it doesn't at all. <laughs> like, it doesn't encapsulate. So, That's the beauty of this movie. Speaking of you kind of equating it to um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. This movie also reminded me a little, just a little bit of um, the movie Heathers and the movie mm. Clueless. Okay. Not in plot or character, but only because it's so quotable. The lines are so iconic and imaginative. Yeah. And both of those movies, like, created their own um, lexicon, really. So It's true, yeah. The, there's a lot of... There's really- a lot in this that we were walking around all day today, just kind of <laughs> muttering under our breath. It's, it's really good. Oh. So, yeah, so um, before we get into it, there will be swear words in this episode. I'm sure. I don't think that any children listen to our podcast, but... But definitely not this one. <laughs> also, the subject matter of this movie is not for children, it's, I don't think, either. Yeah, it's true. It's very, um, it's a little dark. But, uh, yeah, so this movie was directed by Bruce Robinson. Okay. Um, who was an actor in the 70s. He was famously in Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Mm. He was Benvolio. Oh, great role. Yes. I always and, love um, Benvolio and Mercutio, best roles. So Bruce, uh, basically, he based most of this movie largely on his real-life experience as a struggling actor living with yeah. his alcoholic friend, Vivian um, McCarroll, um, who he largely based the character of Withnell on. So there's a lot of real, real stuff. I mean, it's it, everything's played big and for comedy, but you can tell like, oh, these are coming out of somebody's. I think you can real tell life. I think there. It's a funny thing and a weird thing to to put out there uh, in, in a show like this. But whenever you kind of have felt like you've abused a substance in the past, whether it's alcohol or drugs or something and you see it depicted in a movie or TV show, you can tell immediately when, like, oh, this is... You don't know what this is like. Like, you're fabricating it, and this is very beautiful to look at, and, like, people around me are laughing at how funny this drug scene is, or, like, at how funny this drunk person is. But I think there is such a line that you can quickly cross going from, like, holding a lens to what actually, like the kind of disgusting nature of addiction and turning it into caricature Mm. and in a comedy i think a lot of times american comedies want to skew towards caricature yeah and would rather it be like oh let's laugh at the situation yeah but i think as we've touched on before british comedy is so much more about laughing at the people Mm. and it makes it so much sadder (laughs) when it's something like this yeah but then so much more interesting where you're like how are you going to make me like these people? <laughs> if it's yeah. if it's substance abuse, yeah. if it's stuff where like you can tell they're in this situation that they've put themselves in, mm-hmm. it's so much like it's 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 really hard to quantify yeah. that how well they do a good job of portraying this in a way that is both funny and real and worrisome. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because you're laughing the whole time, but you are kind of worried, like. What's going to happen to you? Yeah. <laughs> You're out of control. You're drinking furniture um, polish at the start of the movie. Lighter fluid. Lighter fluid. Um, <laughs> so this movie stars uh, Richard E. Grant. 
incredible actor. Who we know from being in every British... He's every villain. He's, he's, yeah, he's shown up in so many things from... Doctor Who, to A Series of Unfortunate Events, to Gosford Park, to Spice World. Um, he's just always been, as far as I've been alive, he's always been showing up in things. So um, seeing him in this and knowing that this was like at the start of his career and probably his best performance yeah, was kind of mind-blowing. Um, so that was cool. Um, it also stars Paul McGann, um, who... Um, I don't really know him from anything other than being the eighth Doctor in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, he was in a, a TV movie of Doctor Who that we need to cover. Um, yeah, that's, that's still so unique, that experience. Where yeah. it's like, you're the Doctor, you are him. For one movie. Right. Um, and it also stars Richard Griffiths, who most Americans know as Uncle Dursley mm, Vernon yeah. from Harry Potter. Um, I think, though, with Paul McGann... I think most Americans would know him from Alien. Oh, he's an alien? Yeah. Oh, yep, okay. Yeah. I completely forgot that was him. I know. I mean, because he he just doesn't look like he did. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting, because every time I see him, all I can picture is him as the doctor. Yeah. Um, it also has Ralph Brown as Danny, the drug dealer, mm. who you knew... Who I know from, um, oh, and why can't I think of it now? Um, Wayne's World. Mm. Like, he's one of the, the roadies, like Wayne's. Um, he just has such a particular manner of speaking <laughs> that the second he talks, you're like, oh, it's this guy. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know him. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, this also features, this is a very minor character, but Eddie Tago um, as Presumin Ed, who is friends with Danny. Yeah, that... I know him. I looked him up. And I do know him. He was Chocolate Moose in the movie Top Secret. Have you great seen, name? Have you seen Top Secret? I have not okay. seen Top Secret. Great movie. Is that that's like a, a parody a, one? Yeah, right? it's like yeah, a Val like a Spies Kilmer. Like Us kind of. Yeah, it's yeah. There's so many good jokes and visual gags in Top Secret. We should we should watch that. Soon. Yeah, I would be down. Um, but yeah, this has a phenomenal cast of really really talented uh, British actors and it. Very much, I think you nailed it earlier when you said that, like, this might be his best performance, where... It's definitely his most iconic, there, I think. I think there's something about letting young, raw, talented actors just perform mm-hmm. and seeing what happens. Like, you capture performances you don't often see in other times. Like, and I think a lot of the times you see it in actors that are constantly trying to chase that again of like how do we get them to do this again how do we get Mm. this actor to give that performance without realizing that like it's you need that other person to bounce off of sometimes or like without them being molded by agents by directors yeah you get something interesting it's true unique the the performances in this are really spectacular um yeah i kind of thought we would talk about a couple of the plot points Sure. Um, so it kind of starts off with uh, the two characters, Withnall. It's spelled Withnail, but everyone says Withnall. Yeah. Um, and it's spelled with and without an I and with. What? There are, I've seen it online. Like, I think it must be a Welsh name or something. Because I've seen it spelled online, W-T-H-N-A-I-L. Oh, weird. I didn't see that. Because it's it's spelled under both ways. And I didn't Strange. look far enough into it, but I well, should Well, I have some trivia about it later. Okay. Um, so it starts off with the two main characters, uh, Withnall and the other character who's not named ever in the movie. I thought so. But, they never oh, wow. say his name in the credits, he is and I. <laughs> um, wow. But over the years, people have looked in the movie and seen that when he's holding a te- telegram, the last name is Marwood. Uh, so most people now pre- just call him Marwood. refer to his character as Marwood. So the two characters, Withnall and Marwood, are struggling actors. They're they're living in this very disgusting apartment. Yeah. 
Um, it's real gross. They can't do the dishes. There's rats running around. Yeah, there's rodents. Um, and the sink is like the most disgusting Ugh. dishes in sink scenario I've seen in a long time. And then just the way he doesn't move dishes aside, he just shoves the kettle under there to get a little water where you're like, oh man. It's really man, gross. And then when that's... he makes coffee, they don't have any mug, clean mugs, so he puts it into a bowl and he's, he's eating, eating it with, eating a, spoon. with a spoon. <laughs> and Withdahl's like, wait. We have soup? Why didn't I get any soup? And he's coffee. like, it's coffee. Just um, from that moment, I was like, oh, we're in for a good movie. <laughs> like, they are here for these kind of visual gags. I like it. They yeah. Set, yeah, they set it up very quickly and very well. You know what kind of life they're living. Yeah. This starving artist type of existence that's kind of romanticized, but kind of disgusting. It's yeah. really interesting. And, but I think they do a good job of early on, like, that you only really see with no is the more extreme version of this is like mm-hmm. the two of them are all together. Yeah. But like it very much felt to me for the first good chunk of the movie, I thought we were looking at like a Harvey or a fight club situation where mm. this is like Tyler Durden is his like alter ego. Oh. This is the like extreme bad part of him. I can see that. And for a long time, I thought that's what was like it was leading up to. I'm glad it didn't go I that way. I totally can see that. I, I, that didn't occur to me as we watched it, but I can totally see that because Richard E. Grant's character is the crazier one. And he's also not dressed normal. No. <laughs> His clothes are very like 19th century. He's got like a 19th century riding coat on and like a waistcoat with like yeah. a silk. He's like wearing a cravat that's never tied. It's really interesting. So I, yeah, I can totally see how he would look like a figment of somebody's imagination. And it feels like he's always the one with the bad ideas that, where it's like, <laughs> oh, well now we're going to go get wellies, right? Yeah. Of course not. Let's go hop in, uh, pop into yeah. the, the, the pub. Um, they do start off, I think one of the best first lines... One of the first great lines in the film is when uh, Marwood runs in and he's freaking out. He's like almost having a panic attack. And he goes, my thumbs have gone weird. <laughs> um, which is, I've never heard anyone say anything my like that. So it's just really good. Um, they kind of, they have to get out of the apartment because they're stressing out. They can't clean the sink. They're freaking out. So they're, they go for a walk in the park. And then Marwood suggests that they go to the countryside. And Withnall says... I'm in a park and I'm practically dead. What good is the countryside? <laughs> Great line. So good. So they decide to... Um, oh, wait. I, I missed the lighter fluid scene. So, oh. yeah. He basically needs alcohol. They've run out of wine. Withnall decides to drink the lighter fluid. And then uh, and he was like, mm, he drinks it. And then he's like, I need more. What have you got in your toolbox? Don't you have antifreeze? And that's when Marwood says... Um, Never mix your drinks, which yeah. is really funny. And then, uh, but also for listeners out there, don't drink things like antifreeze and lighter fluid at all. Mm-hmm. Not don't mix them. Like, do not drink something that is not approved by the FDA. That's why that line is so funny because it's yeah. not like, hey, don't do that. You're gonna die. I just wanted to let people know, like, <laughs> we don't endorse this. Like, Good. I've I've been around people that drink and snort the worst, dumbest things, where you're just like, the toll this is going to have on your body. Yeah, not good. And just to watch somebody like that drink lighter fluid. It's disgusting. Oh. Um, oh. So, yeah, they decide to visit with Nall's Uncle Monty to ask him if he will let them stay in his country cottage. So they go to visit Uncle Monty, who is a great character, played by Richard Griffiths. Amazing. He's yeah. so good. But Uncle Monty is so eccentric um, they go That's in, a way to put it. Eccentric. Well, they go in and in his apartment, instead of having plants and flowers, he has vegetables on display. Yeah. So he's always saying like, the cauliflower is more beautiful to me than the rose. And like, a carrot is more interesting than a geranium. Um, and what does he say? I wrote it down. He says, flowers are essentially tarts. Prostitutes for the bees. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. so good. Oh, also, Uncle Monty hates his cat. Yeah. I think when they get there, he's holding it, but then like later, the cat runs through the room. Like, this beast he's like this beast. horrible oaf. He will die. Beast. He will die. <laughs> he's like straight up trying to kill his cat. It's really funny. He's straight up a psychopath in this he's movie. Interesting. He's definitely interesting. Um, I don't know if interesting is the word I would choose. And he's not not interesting. He, yeah. Um. I, so yeah, they uh, basically take their beat up car and leave the city. Um, set to Jimi Hendrix. Is it all along the Watchtower? Mm, I 
thing. I think there's, that's, there's yeah. a couple of Hendrix songs in they here. I read about leave, um, <clears throat> leave London, head to the countryside, they get caught in the rain, then they get there to the country cottage and it's, it's just cold and it's like run down and dusty. And, um, yeah, so they kind of have to like try to make do. Um, there's just so many good things that happen when they're in the country. Yeah, and that's when the movie that, comes alive. That city, like the city mouse going into the country and not knowing what's going on. It's really great. They're like... Except usually you get montages of people like slowly learning what to do and thriving over time. Mm -hmm. No, these guys are barely surviving the entire time. I like how he sends with Nal out into the garden with... Um, He's like, I don't have boots or I'd go. And so he gives him plastic bags for his yep, feet. to wrap around his feet. And he goes out there and then he takes a knife and he shoves it into the ground. And when he pulls it out, there's a potato yep. on it. And he goes, I've got one. It worked. Yeah. Oh. And then they basically ask the, the local farmer if they can have... I love that, though, that the farmer rides by their house on his tractor yeah. and they run out. And he goes, are you the farmer? And Marvin's like, shut up. Of course he's a fucking farmer. <laughs> <laughs> he's just yelling at him like, you idiot. And that's when Withnall goes, we've gone on holiday by accident. <laughs> Which is a great line. It's really good. Apparently oh. people, um, that's how, uh, I can't remember if it was Richard E. Grant or Paul McGann, but that's how they knew that the movie had really like become a cult classic is yeah. I think it was Paul McGann. He was in Canada and someone said to him, are you on holiday by accident? And so he knew. Wow. But uh, yeah. And so they asked the local farmer for um, some food. He's like, oh, I'll bring you a chicken. Uh, I yeah. definitely thought it was going to be a raw. Oh, I did not. I did. I knew a, a farmer is bringing a live animal. He brought them a live chicken. Yeah. And that's a really good scene because um, with all says, how do we make it die? And then Marwood says, um, I think you better strangle it quickly before it tries to make friends with us. <laughs> Which, the second it came up, you go, that's a Noel Fielding saying. Like, that seems like something Noel would love and say. I thought about Noel Fielding a lot during this movie. <laughs> Just because the strange manner of speaking mm. definitely seems like that's kind of how Noel speaks, yeah. you know. Everything makes sense, but does it? <laughs> but does, does it? it? Yeah. It's um, Noel. What else? Yeah, they they basically... Um, they're living, they're surviving, they're starving, and then in the middle of the night, they think that the farmer or somebody nearby no. is coming to get so them and when, murder them. When they're at the pub, the local poacher gets mad at them because they keep trying to buy a pheasant or an eel from him, and he's yeah. like, no, go away. And then in the night, they think he's coming to like kill them. Um, and I do really love that scene because there's that really funny scene of Marwood sleeping and then with Nall coming in with the shotgun and being like, yeah. let me get in. And he gets in the bed and, and tries to <laughs> trap him in. Yeah. And then Marwood's like, okay, well I'll go get in your bed. And so he gets out. And as soon as he gets out, with Nall gets out Yep. and then he gets back in the bed and he's like, nope, whatever you do, I'm doing it. He's so scared. Yeah. Um, and he, we already know he is like the worst friend, the biggest coward that like he yes. ran and almost got his friend killed by a bull. One of my favorite parts in here is when, um, they're listening and they can hear like somebody coming into the house and like breaking through the window and they're like, oh, it's him. He's here to kill us. And he goes, maybe we can try to make friends with him. <laughs> and then um, when they hear him walk past their room and go towards Marwood's room, Withnall says, oh, he's going to your room. It's you he wants. Yeah. Offer him yourself. <laughs> yep. And then... Uh... It ends up being Uncle Monty. And then we learn that the kind of whole situation, the reason why they got this cottage is because Whitnall told Monty that Marwood would offer himself. Yeah, that he was gay. That was the implication. Yeah. And Which is a terrible thing to do. Just about the shittiest thing a friend could do. The, is, yeah. So it's... Is the, to tell the proprietor of a house that you're going to stay in, like, oh, by the way, this guy is, like, young and gay and randy and, like, we'll do it with you. Yep. And then not tell your straight friend that, oh, by the way, this guy is probably going to try to rape you. Mm. And not give him any heads up or anything or ask, is this okay that I tell another person? Like, it, ooh, it was yeah. one of the things at the end whenever, I mean, we're getting there, but, like, when at the end... Marwood gets a phone call and can get out. Like, he's got a job. He doesn't have to be in this, like, misery anymore. You're like, good, get out. Leave this guy behind. Yeah, he is it's, it's the a, worst part of your life. It's a really good illustration because the rest of the time, Withnall is very uh, 
passive. Yeah, yeah. He's not doing anything, like, he's not really doing anything terrible to Marwa. Like, they're friends, and while he may not be super caring, he's not, like, a bad friend. But this is kind of the illustration of that indifference of not caring whether, like, his uncle comes on to him and makes him feel uncomfortable, like... That does make you a really shitty friend. Yeah. So, um, but the whole scene where Richard Griffiths is coming on to him, it is it is uncomfortable because it is hard to see anybody be put in a situation where they're having to fend off somebody who is not taking no for an answer. That that yeah. is uncomfortable to watch. But that being said, the scene is really really well done. Richard Griffiths is fantastic, yeah. and my favorite part is when he says. You are a toilet trader. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. Oh, it's so that good. That sad. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I also thought what, what finally got Monty to leave him alone was Marwood the whole time is saying, like, He's not ah. saying no. He's saying, I'm not gay, I'm not I'm gay. I'm Like, no, I'm not interested. He finally says, okay, fine, yes, I'm gay, and I'm in a relationship with Withnall. And we're together. And that's finally when Uncle Monty's like, oh, I would never come between you. And it, I thought it was interesting that it, it that's kind of like the tactic that a lot of girls have to fall back on, which is the, I have a boyfriend, yeah. leave me alone. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just a wild ride. And then... Marwood does find out, he calls his agent, I think, and finds out he does have an audition in London. Yeah. So that's when they... So they gotta go back ASAP. Get in the car. <laughs> but then again, his friend, upon hearing like, hey, this is your big break, you have a chance. He's like, we need to leave now. And with Nall goes like, well, no, I just made breakfast. We're gonna ha- I'm, I'm gonna need know, at least an hour to pack. He says, I need an hour for lunch. And then it cuts to them in the car, and he's eating his full meal with a plate and a yeah. knife and a fork. Such a good visual in the car, eating. Um, and then Marwood falls asleep. And then he, when he wakes up, it's daytime. And <sighs> Withnall is drunk. He's like half drunk, half hungover, driving half on something. Driving the car, weaving in and out of traffic. Yeah. And honestly, I don't want to condone or glamorize Nope. Never drunk drive driving. drunk. Never, ever drive drunk. But this was a wonderful part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Just because it was it's, funny. it's also set to Jimi Hendrix's um, Voodoo Child. And it's just really, really well done. Like, it, it yeah. seemed like something out of a more contemporary movie. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah. And then the police see him. Which was good. It was much needed. It was one of those where you're like, <clears throat> if they get back and it's fine, that's... Yeah. I mean, I don't think that... It's not the kind of movie where they would have done such a thing. Mm. But it, it very much, yeah, was just another thing where I think by the end, it is such a funny movie, but it's so haunting to me just knowing a lot of people that were similar to these people. Mm-hmm. As somebody who like came out to LA trying to be an actor or like going whenever I was in college for acting, like I know a lot of people similar to this. Like I've, you know, like I have heard stories of people driving their cars in situations like this or yeah. like it's so, waking up in situations. It's, it's just it's reckless. And yeah. so that's why it's I have heartbreaking mixed feelings on that scene, because like, again, like drink driving is, <laughs> as they call it in England, <clears throat> drink driving is very serious, but it's one of my top favorite movie moments I've seen in a long time yeah. is just him weaving in <laughs> traffic to Jimi Hendrix. Um, but they do get pulled over, and I do like that he's refusing to get in the van, and the police are like, come on, come on. And finally that one cop goes, get in the back of the van! <laughs> yeah. And it's he like, just All right. says it so loudly and so quickly, it really caught me off guard. And I actually rewatched the movie a second time today. Just to hear that guy? No, just in preparation <laughs> for this podcast, I watched it again. Yeah. And that part was even funnier the second time. It's very good. Um, but yeah, so they take him to the police station and he has to give a urine test. And that's when you find out he's using that urine test. Uh, Did he talk about that was the like Chekhov's The bottle gun. that you put. It's a clean urine test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, when the police come and they like take the curtain away and then he, he just has this hose coming out of his pants yeah but then his little and smile he is spraying everywhere and yeah. the cop has to grab the hose to keep it from yeah and then with just looks at him drunkenly like oh, i don't know 
Oh, it's really funny. Yeah. Richard E. Grant's so good. Which I feel like that scene has been recreated a lot in like stoner and drunk movies mm. where like nowadays they, it's not nearly as rudimentary as the thing that they have there with um, some of the pee kits that they make now. Mm. Um, but I haven't seen a scene that's as funny. And part of it is the face that Richard E. Grant's makes when he's caught. Like when he grabs it, it's just so he just looks, shy. And he like, looks at the police officer like, just bashful. Yeah, I don't know. I tried. He caught me. <laughs> he's such a I child. almost got away with it though. Um, yeah. So they, they get out of the police station. They go back to their apartment. And Danny, the drug dealer there, is there with Presume and Ed. And um, that's when he rolls. The I'm gonna roll you one, the biggest joint that the world has ever seen. It's one of the biggest joints I've ever seen in a movie. The Camberwell carrot. That was it, yeah. And uh, rolls carrot. that, and then they smoke it, and then Marwood goes to his audition, and oh yeah, he goes. This will tend to make you very high. <laughs> <laughs> this will tend to make um, you. Very but yeah, high. that's when Marwood comes back. He says he. He got the lead role in something. Yeah, he auditioned for a different role, but yeah. they made him the lead. And then right after he tells them his good news, they're... Richard E. Grant is so talented because every single time, like when he finds out he has the audition, he gets a telegram that he got one, and Richard E. Grant reads it, and he he does this face that's that's like half, oh, I'm happy for you, but half really bitter and jealous. Because I think he knows as the actor, like, oh... I'm, my career isn't going to happen, but his might happen. Yeah. And I'm losing a friend if it happens. Yeah, and yeah, it's that jealousy of like, it's not happening to me, but also you're going to leave. And so Because then... it's, it's the kind of thing where like when one person gains success, they can choose to no longer be friends with somebody. But like the person who's being left behind isn't choosing to end that friendship. Mm-hmm. And he sees it. Yeah. But he does it a second time too when he when Marwood comes in and says that he got... The role, he got the lead role, and then just uh, his face where he's just like, congrats, and yeah. he's smiling, but you can see like There's... behind his eyes this like, something was very... Just fear. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of where <clears throat> I think the movie kind of hits this like serious moment of Marwood realizing they've just gotten an eviction notice. And he, everyone's laughing because they're all high. Yeah. Everyone in the room is just laughing. And they're not taking it seriously. And he's like, will you take this? Stop laughing. And no one's listening to it. And it's kind of like the moment where he realizes, like, his situation has got to change. If and he's, he's going, the only one that can change it. Yeah. yeah. And if he's going to be taking life seriously, like, he's got to get out of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where Danny says, um, if you are hanging onto a rising balloon, you're presented with a difficult decision. Let go before it's too late, or hang on and keep going higher, posing the question, how long can you keep a grip on the rope? Yeah. Which kind of makes me feel like Withnall is the balloon <laughs> yeah. to Marwood, and it's like, how, it's like you have how much longer are you going to hold on to a relationship that is not really taking you anywhere good? Well, and it's the it's the thing where like you can't save a balloon that's like it's, true. It, it's going to rise. That's like a you can really try to point. hold on, but it will eventually go. That's a really good point. And I think it is. Yeah. Man. So he uh, gets his haircut that Withnall said he'd have to get. Yeah, didn't he look good? <laughs> if he had to play his older, yeah, and uh, he moves out of their apartment, and it's sad. Withnall is trying to pester him and having one last drink, and Marwood's like, "I can't. I'll be late." But he keeps yeah. insisting. And he's like, fine, I'll walk with you. And and just takes the w- bottle of wine out. And they're walking through the park. And they basically say goodbye. And uh, it kind of ends with Withnall quoting Hamlet in the rain alone with a bottle of wine and then walking off. Yeah, back at the zoo. Yeah. Like talking to the animals. Which, yeah, there's a whole nother layer of, of things there. Anytime people are looking at animals in a zoo in a movie, it's very meta where we are doing the same thing as the audience. Yeah. And, and quoting Hamlet, that speech, yeah. And he also... It's a good ending. The way that he delivers it, too. I mean, he's just drunk and in the rain, but it's spectacular. Yeah. So it's like, wow, you do have talent. Yeah. You just cannot apply it to anything. Uncle Monty says something to him in the cottage, something like, you are incapable of devoting yourself to anything other than pleasure. Yeah. And it's so true. That's his character. It's true. Um, but yeah, Man. great ending. Great movie. Uh, would you like a a tea time? I would love to take a tea time. Would you like a tea break? 
Yeah. What tea are you drinking, Danny? I am drinking uh, PG Tips. Ooh, I put Pecky a, Tips. I usually do my black tea with nothing in it. Yeah. Um, but this time I did decide to do a little bit of sugar mm. and a little splash of milk. Oh, okay. And it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really good. Yeah, PG Tips is so good. I'm doing a little Darjeeling, a little Taylor's tea. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had never had this before, but... Talk about this uh, we, tea and where we got it. Yeah, we went back to um, to Missouri last weekend, um, or two weekends ago. It was my brother's 30th birthday, and we were all vaccinated, my whole family is, so we kind of flew and surprised them. And there's just a little shop in um, old St. Charles, his, historic St. Charles, Missouri, that is called the English Shop. Or it's called English to a T, um, <laughs> yeah, which is we were really funny. Driving by, we were looking at all these little shops and cute little cafes, and we were like, "Oh, look at that! Look at that!" And then we saw the British shop, and you and I were like, oh, "Gotta go in! We gotta go! We gotta go!" And we spent most of our time um, in that shop because it was phenomenal. I've it was been a great shop. in British. She's shops. giving air quotes right now. Yeah, I've been in British shops in America before, where they it, it's coined. They sell some teacups. They have a couple of like imported um, couple snacks. of the snacks you would know. When we walked in here, it was insane. It was a it was almost like a small grocery store yeah. full of only goods from the UK and and then like China and curios of like it was such an interesting assortment of. Like perishables and non. <laughs> like, yeah, they all. And then in the back, they had like teapots and um, tea kettles and teacups. Then they had a whole Scottish section. Like it didn't feel like. I think a lot of the times you get the hot topic, sensational. Like here's some Game of Thrones and Harry Potter stuff, and yeah, you're yeah. like, that's not British. Like that's like yeah. American content <laughs> that yeah. we we appreciate. Yeah. But um, but if you're in you know St. Charles, go to South Main Street. Look up the little English shop. Yeah, we ended up, it's we started phenomenal. walking through and we just started loading up our arms with like oh, candy. So much tea and candy. I, uh, and I then... bought my dad a Winston Churchill related gift for yep. Christmas. Um, and then, yeah, we were just like, you and I both had like a box of tea each. And then I was grabbing Jaffa cakes and like <laughs> crisps. And we also were like, well, we have to fly on a plane in two hours so yeah. everything that we buy right now has to be able to fit into our bag so yeah. we just couldn't stop ourselves we just kept buying things but um so a couple of those are going to be in uh, future episodes yeah we're gonna try <laughs> but those. we're not featuring those today what are we <clears throat> looking at today danny today we are going to try two treats from the uk these were sent to us by julie Yes, thank Julie you, Julie, in her care package. Um, these are both from the Cadbury Dairy Milk selection. Yes, so we're trying a Cadbury Dairy Milk Fruit and Nut Bar. And then a Cadbury Dairy Milk Fingers, um, which are like the milk chocolate biscuits. They're like yeah, long, uh, kind of chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. So yeah, you want to try the fingers? Yeah, let's do it. So they're a... I don't know how to describe them. They're like a long... Cookie covered in chocolate. Yeah, like a, a long, thin, like a, a pretzel-like cookie. With, let's try it. Let's try it. Cheers. Okay, well, the Cadbury fingers are delicious. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've had something like this before, but it was um, made in America, and they weren't very good. The, yeah. the biscuits were cheap, and the, the chocolate was very waxy. Yeah. This, because it's Cadbury, the chocolate is so soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really, really good. But the biscuit's also really good. Mm -hmm. I think like when, I think I, I've had something similar in like those tins that you get around the holidays where it's an assorted uh, cookie tin. Yeah. And it always feels like the cookie, like these long thin cookies are stale or mm. they're a little like, it's it's like you're saying the like chocolate is waxy, the cookie's not quality. And yeah. so you eat it and you're like, oh, I'd rather eat everything else in this little assortment. Yeah. <laughs> But this, these They're by themselves, like really good. And I saw you kind of like dipped yours in your tea a little yeah. bit. I think well, it'd be good in tea, good in milk. I am a big Tim Tam Slam person. Yes. So if you give me a cookie covered in chocolate, I'm gonna try to do it in my tea. Um, yeah. Do you want to try the dairy milk fruit and nut? Yeah. Let's try the other. For this... our listeners, Danny is punching the air <laughs> rapidly. I love this candy bar. It's <laughs> um, good. I think this is delicious. This might be my favorite Cadbury thing. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. We've tried a lot. But the, the reason I like this <laughs> is because there is a candy bar here in the U.S. called a Chunky. Yeah. And it is 
chocolate with peanuts and raisins in it and it is one of my favorite candies because I just love the texture of the crunchy peanut and then the soft raisin and this has the exact same texture but mm. it's like a higher quality true <laughs> it's higher quality chocolate so it's even better so I am a huge fan of this I think it's okay. Um, I mean, I, I really like the richness of the chocolate. I love the nuts that they're using with it. I think to me, I don't know if I love like fruit and raisin in a chocolate bar like this. Like I think I like a, a chocolate covered raisin where it's like a good ratio. But this to me, like I don't like the ratio of chocolate to nut to fruit. Mm. I mean, all the flavors are there. It tastes so good. And like you saw how excited I got by the resealable package. <laughs> they are on to something here. Teach every candy company this. We don't need to eat our whole candy in one sitting. It's true. But like that, that is good. I think I like the fingers more. Because mm. it has just the chocolate, good crunch of that cookie. I like well, the fingers here, a lot. You eat all the fingers <laughs> and I will eat all of this candy. Yeah, bar. I mm. think that's a good compromise. Mm. Mm. Okay. That's delicious. <laughs> I love Cadbury. Yeah, they're fantastic. I just love chocolate that's not from America. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... Yeah, it's not Nestle. It's true. Um, wow. That was a good snack time. Those are great ones. Yeah. Julie has not led us astray. Yeah, everything Julie has sent us so far has been so good. Yeah, they've been wild. Like, all of them have been different. Um, do you want to get back into our topic? Let's do it. Okay, so... I have a little bit of trivia about this movie. Oh, go for it. Yeah, you usually I'm the one that like deep dives and finds some trivia, but like you were already really scrounging I'm, around. I think I'm like obsessed with this movie. <laughs> it, it's great. I mean, it's I'm, so unique. But I'm also kind of obsessed with like the mythos of it because yeah. from everything that I was seeing online, this is like a cult classic. People in England can quote the entire thing. This felt very much to me of like a like a precursor to like a fish called Wanda type where you're like, I see where that kind of comedy was founded here in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, of course this is much more like, you know, like drug and party oriented. I think a lot of like skins and misfits, those like, uh, kind of like teen shows that make light of it later on can look back to this and say like, well, if it wasn't for them showing like normalizing drug and alcohol culture, yeah we wouldn't have seen it decades later on TV. So I think like hoisting a movie like this up into cult status, like makes so much sense. Mm, Like even if it had like tiny little implications throughout film history, I think it's still, it's, it's deserving. I see now why it, yeah. Why it's so widely regarded. Yeah. Um, And, And I mean, honestly, like we might sound like we're building this up too much. It is the kind of thing where I feel like if you don't like this very specific kind of like dark comedy this black comedy yeah i don't know if it's for everyone yeah it like there are people who are not gonna like this and that's like my mom my mom might not like it which we probably should have warned diane in the beginning of this podcast yeah not for you but she probably heard the profanity warning and we're like okay i'll move on um okay so there are some great trivia some of it i got um from imdb I also got um, a huge chunk of this trivia from this website, 80skids.com. Okay. They did a whole article on, like, top ten, like, trivia from this movie. So, so the first one is, in the scene where Richard E. Grant drinks the lighter fluid out of the bottle, for all the rehearsals of this scene, they put water in the lighter fluid bottle. For the take, the director took out the water and put in vinegar. Yeah. And that's an old theater trick. Yeah, it, it definitely gave him like a reaction of yeah. like, what did I just drink? <laughs> um, so we had whenever we would do plays in, um, in college, um, we had somebody who did something similar, mm-hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't vinegar every time. Like, they would switch it up. And you would only know, like, as it's getting to your mouth, then you smell you it. Kind of and you kind of breathe it in. But then it does kind of help, I think, with that, like, that sensation of, like, with acting. Acting is reacting to something. Yeah. And obviously a lot of people will argue what you should and shouldn't do to an actor. Yeah. Like, I think morally we're getting to a point where we're like, hey, you probably can't do that anymore. But... I think getting that such a realistic <clears throat> reaction on there yeah. is both so good for film and for the other person in the scene where they're like, yeah. whoa, okay. I also think that it is more appropriate 
depending on how close the actor and director are. You know, yes. if you're a director who's not, if you and the actor aren't very close and comfortable, then that stuff is going to be weird and not cool. But, like, if you're very close and, and the director knows they can kind of push their actors Like, if it, you're in the Judd Apatow crew, yeah. you're probably, like, you know that, like, where the limit is. And Judd does the same. Yeah. But I feel like if you're more of an auteur coming in have never worked with this director before, it's, yeah. a, it's a much different ask. It would be weird. But, yeah, that, that makes that whole uh, take even better, knowing yeah. that. Yeah. Um... Uh, number two, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was offered the role of Withnall. Wow, what? Um, Kenneth Branagh also auditioned for it. Richard E. Grant beat him. Wow. Yeah. I cannot picture Daniel Day-Lewis. I, I, I just I mean, think it would be a different movie. I think Daniel Day-Lewis can do literally anything. So it is one of those things that every time he gets cast, I'm like, really? And then he surprised you and wins <laughs> an Oscar for it. very good. So like, I think he would have been great. Yeah. It's the Kenneth Branagh that I have a harder time so seeing. I can picture him. Just because he's so posh. I, I was going to say, I can picture him reading all these lines. He's got the physicality and the bravado yeah. to play this character. But I think for me... The reason that Kenneth Branagh wouldn't have worked is because you would never believe Kenneth Branagh as an actor who couldn't get work. Yeah. Whereas Richard Grant perfectly played that person who is like exciting and animated, but you still buy him as this person who just cannot get hired. And it's like he's attractive and like there's something about him that is captivating, but there's something about him that's a little off. He's deranged. Yeah. And so <laughs> it is that thing where like... He he had the perfect look. Yeah, just the look in his manner, how he composes himself. Yeah. He was perfect for this. Really... I get why they took a risk with like a no name. Yeah. Like, which I think he people don't do nowadays, but yeah. to do that in the 70s and 80s um, rather, big deal. <clears throat> in the scene, <clears throat> in the tea room where Richard E. Grant is laughing, it was unscripted and he was laughing because the pugs in the scene were snorting. Oh, yeah. And so he, he just broke. And so watching that scene is even better when he starts laughing because you're like, that's that's just Richard E. Grant laughing. And they kept the take somehow. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Well, yeah, I think the director said, like, it worked, so. That's a weird <clears throat> scene. That whole little bit in the movie, I, I was like, I don't know what's happening here. Oh, I like it. They go in I the, like it. They go in the tea room. I don't know and then why they're, they're like, there. We want tea and cakes. And then the, the people are like, you're drunk, get out. We are closed. So, yeah, it's really good. And that's when he goes, we want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here, and we want them now. <laughs> um, Withnall's character is named after someone that bruce robinson knew as a boy the man um once reversed his car he backed it into a police car he also misspelled his own name it was supposed to be with two l's and he spelled it with an i ah so maybe I think, that's why this guy is has his eye missing in his name i think that's well i think that's also why even though it's spelled with an i in the title of the movie everyone pronounces it with null yeah it's interesting um uh, Ralph Brown, who plays Danny the drug dealer, he showed up for the audition dressed up exactly like the script describes him. With And so he had dyed hair and painted nails. I would like to <clears> audition <throat> for this movie <laughs> It that said that the director and casting director were like terrified of him, but they loved it and they cast him. Do not be scared. It is just the way that I look. <laughs> oh my god. You sound, love, you sound like him. I love his voice so much. And he's such an extreme person, but the fact that he speaks so slowly, it's yeah. really weird. Um, Paul McGann has said that he meets fans who believe, they think that this movie's from the 60s, that it was filmed in the 60s. It feels like it. Yeah. Like, And Paul McGann has said... It's because even though this came out in the 80s, nothing about it looks of the 80s. They were careful to keep the cuts of clothing and, and you know, the art and everything uh, far from looking like it was the 80s. So, And I think, like, I've shown you before um, Straw Dogs, which is such, like, a captivating, weird movie that really sticks out to me. And it has a lot of those vibes to it where, like, that kind of 60s farm England... It's weird how, like, we never grew up there, but I could place it. Like, whenever I, I see people, like, what they're wearing, kind of how the country versus the city is such a different um, interaction than it became, like, in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Oh, okay, so this one's really good. 
on set, they actually needed to roll the Camberwell carrot joint. Um, but no one could do it because it's, so, <laughs> Cause it's big. so big and impossible. They ha- actually had to get the sound maintenance engineer to do it because he was an ex-hippie and he was the only one that could actually roll a joint that big. Wow. Um, so that's interesting. That's really I just funny. picture that moment on set where they're like, um, um, we wrote this into the script. Can anybody do this? <laughs> and him just being like, oh, yeah, I got you. Ugh. Um, give me an extra 5%. This, I don't, I, you might've mentioned this earlier, but this is the film debut of both of the leads. She's crazy. <laughs> And they're both really good. Also, I read that um, isn't Richard Griffiths only like thirty five or something he was when he 39. did this? But that's yeah. still like looking at him like in this, he seems much older. Yeah, it's and then true. just because we've seen like what a storied career he had, yeah. to think that like this was one of his earlier roles and he was almost forty, but he looks so much older. Yeah, he looked really old. Um, the first test screening for this film went horribly not one single person laughed at any moment during the screening and the director was so upset until he found out the entire test audience was made up of german non-english speaking tourists (laughs) oh my god how does that happen (laughs) someone was bad at their job somebody was very bad that they're like oh i need to fill an entire auditorium i forgot to do that yeah. And they just like run into a hotel and was like, give me 30 yeah, people. Right? <laughs> like, I don't care. It makes a lot of sense, though, that, <laughs> you know, they would, they would have no idea what was going on. Oh. Um, this one is a little dark, but it is very interesting. The original ending Ooh, I think I know that this. Bruce Robinson wrote um, depicted with Nell taking his own life by pouring wine into a shotgun and then drinking it out of the shotgun and then pulling the trigger. Yeah. That's, uh, um, that's how the book is, right? Well, he originally started to write it as a novel, and then he turned it into a screenplay. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And so he decided that it was too dark and changed it, and I think that's good because it would have been really, really dark, and I think that we understand the tragedy of his character without having to see that. Yeah, I think... When he walks away off into the rain at the end, you know... You know he's not much longer for this world yeah i think in a book it would have worked yeah on film that's too much that's too dark never don't show people killing themselves especially Especially, not to end a movie yeah and especially a character that you honestly have grown to love i mean you know as a person you don't want to be around him as a character i grew to hate him by the end i really hated with no by the end Hmm. interesting um i mean it was just the more and more that he did the more i was like yeah yeah, like, it's the kind of thing that you're forged in steel. Like, you have to make... It's making the other guy stronger by being through these shitty situations. But every single thing Withnell did, I was like, he hates his friend. He is, like, doing the shittiest possible thing. Every single chance he gets, he takes the worst path for his friend. Mm-hmm. And just by the end, I was like, I cannot support this guy. Yeah. <clears throat> But even to that extent, I still don't want to see him kill himself. Yeah. I don't want that. You yeah. don't want that that level of finality. Yeah. Like, it is nice to leave it open-ended. Like you were saying, where it's like, we know, 99% chance, like, you know he's that, not getting his life together. You this know what is that it. guy's future is like. But it is good to end that up in the air where you're like, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think it also, it's better to not show us what happens to him because it's like the people in your life that you move away from because they're so toxic and harmful. Yeah. You don't always know what happens to them. No. In fact, like usually when they're gone from your life, it is almost like they have died in a way mm. because you will no longer interact with them in the way that you used to and the way that you knew them. Yeah. yeah. Um, Bruce Robinson was in uh, Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. Apparently, the director, Zeffirelli, <laughs> would come on to him a lot on set. And so, apparently, a lot of um, Monty's flirtatious lines and dialogue is based on that. The way that yeah. that director would come on to him. So, I thought that was interesting. Yep. Just people in power. So creepy. And then, the last little piece of trivia I have... <clears throat> Sorry. And then the last little piece of trivia I have is that 
Um, this film prompted Jimi Hendrix's family to take full control over yeah. the use of his songs because they didn't like his music being associated with drug culture. Which is very funny. <laughs> um, because Jimi Hendrix is notoriously pro-drugs and yeah. um, did them on stage many, many times. Yeah. Um, the entire reason for his hairband was so that he could put tabs of acid in it. And as he sweat, it would go right into his pores. Like, the dude loved it. Yep. His family, I get his estate, Yeah, yeah, yeah. want his legacy to be the music that he created. But I feel like Jimmy would have seen this movie and been all about it. <laughs> I, I don't think he would have seen this and went, we gotta get, like, pull the reins on this music. This is too much. I think he would have seen it and went, like, yeah, I know those guys. <laughs> like, I know that life. It's true. <clears throat> but it is really interesting, this kind of Wild West of of the 70s and the 80s where there weren't as strong of music libraries that like people really controlled what could be in there. Yeah. And it was a big deal when you and I, you noticed, you're like, that's the second Jimi Hendrix movie or it's Jimi Hendrix song in this movie. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, like you never hear two songs from the same artist unless like if they are, they're drawing attention to something they want you to like, that's the core yeah. theme is that like, there were some very good sixties songs in yeah. here. There was the Beatles song, two mm. Jimi Hendrix songs. It's like, you know, there is a theme in this movie of like the sixties are ending. The seventies are coming in, you know, and the greatest it, generation or the greatest yeah decade is ending and it was yeah that fear of the future fear of change which mm -hmm. i think as a human is intrinsically <clears throat> terrifying of just like what we're going to experience won't be as good as what we had we had the best that there ever is yeah. so we sometimes ask this at the end of a show or movie that we talk about but how british is this man i think the subject matter itself is universal. The movie itself is extremely British. I word for word agree with you because I think we all can, <laughs> we all, do you want to see? Yeah, you have to like, I'm rubbing um, his belly. We all can understand narratives about addiction or mm. friendships that are not Toxic healthy. Or, yeah. yeah, like we can all understand these things, but I do agree that the sentiments portrayed are very English, it seems. And the the particular nature of the comedy. Like, yes. Oh, yes. It, the black comedy. Like, England just does black comedy so well. But then I also think about, like, what the big American comedy around this time, like, would have been, like, an animal house. Mm -hmm. Or an airplane. And you just think of, like, how big that comedy was comparatively, yeah. where you're like, it is so of Britain's comedic writing style. Yeah. And, uh, and that itself, I'm like, it, it could only be made in England. Yeah. Um, but phenomenal. I, think... I, I would recommend it to most people. I think there is a, I think there is a subsect of people that are just never going to enjoy this movie. Yeah. But I think a lot of people need to watch this. It's a it's kind of cult so that needs to be appreciated. It also really is an escape. Yeah. You know, like they're escaping their shitty apartment and going out to the country. And while we're in a pandemic, we're doing the same. Like we want to escape you and go out to the country. Of, you are escaping into their world for a minute and it's really cool. Um, okay, well, are you ready to guess your British word? I am so ready. There were a couple words in this movie that I didn't know that I was thinking <laughs> they might be the word. No. Uh, okay, the word is scouser. 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 Um... Do you know what this is? The worst part is that I've heard it a lot. And I know it's a term that, um, like, one of my favorite, like, British personalities, Gavin Free, of the slow-mo guys and Rooster Teeth. Yep. Um, there's a super famous video of him and Jeff where his American friend is trying to remember the word scouser. <laughs> and he takes a good, like, four minutes and guesses over a hundred different words trying to say scouser. And it's just being like, it's the... Um, Kuzer, Kaukum, Kowler, Skizer, Skowitzka. And he just keeps going through it all before finally getting to Skouser. And so, like, in my mind, I have a thousand non-existent words running through my head. I have no idea what this one <laughs> means. Um, but I'm going to go... Um, I think a Skouser is like... It, it's kind of like Chaps 
or like working pants, like trousers, like a, <laughs> a scouser is very specially designed work pants for uh, for people in England who like when you would go hunting back in the day. So like fox hunting, you would wear them up on on your horses, your like scousers. your scouser trousers, oh, your scousers. Yeah. Okay, use in a sentence. Um, Oi, there's a fox out there. Grab me scousers. <laughs> interesting and not at all right it's not correct but again love your guesses because it does kind of sound like pants could be um words come from somewhere so uh scousers um this is from theguardian.com scousers are named after a once popular working class dish of meat if you were lucky and veg stew called scouse. Mm. Without the meat, it's called blind scouse. So basically, people from Liverpool are called scousers. I thought it was people. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was a people, and I really didn't want to disparage any of the people from and any section. The, and I was like, I'm not going to guess it's that's people. That's the thing that I have been reading. I, I hope that we're not being offensive by saying this word because it sounds I mean, like slang. it it's... sounds like if you want to insult somebody from liverpool oh you can't you yeah. call them a scouser sure. but it sounds like they also call themselves that so yeah well i mean rednecks call themselves rednecks but if you go but there's some rednecks like it hits different you <laughs> yeah, know you're right, you're we're right. like yeah oh he's from boston interesting like, though i was he's wondering an East coaster because there's a monkey song called randy scouse get and I've always kind of wondered what it meant. I think you've just figured a bit of it out. Well, I know that Mickey wrote it when they were um, on their trip to London and met the Beatles. So, oh. I, I, and the Beatles are from Liverpool, right? I think you're figuring this, this <laughs> all out. This is incredible. Well, anyway. Sheldon, <laughs> Good job, monkeys. Sheldon learned a word and I learned about a monkey's song. <laughs> um, yeah, that was this episode. Um, this movie is so interesting i try not to get too excited about something when i first see it because sometimes you see something and you love it and then you never watch it again it's true but i a lot of the stuff we watch on here are one and done it's true but i legitimately love this movie yeah. you watch it the next day okay. i watched it again it's really and good and also if you're out there and want to watch it it's available for free on hbo max if, if you're in the u.s we don't know about the uk it may be different but yeah it's currently free to watch Highly recommend before it leaves and is like very hard to find. If again. you want to see exemplary English actors, then this is a great movie to put on. <laughs> and if you if you need some new things to quote, some new like phrases oh to add to your vocabulary, how do we make it die? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, this is a good episode. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Absolutely, Danny. Um, where can they find us on the internet if they're, if they're oh, looking yes. to connect with us? You can find us. We are on Instagram. You can write to us at anglophilespodcast at gmail.com. Files with an F. Um, we are also on Instagram, anglophilespodcast. So you can find us there. We post a picture of the snacks that we try. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope we did this film justice. Let us know if there are any other cult classics like this one that you think we might not know about because we're American. Mm -hmm. All right, everyone. Remember, keep calm. And we want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. (laughs) 